welcome to the Contemplative Corazón. I'm Julie Calderon, Mujer Evolving. Peace is possible. Join me as I share personal reflections and conversations with others as we seek to incorporate contemplative practices into our busy lives and our busy world. listening to episode 23, Reclaiming Happiness and Health, the third episode of season three. Hello, and welcome to new followers as well as continuing followers. I am so humbled by having so many new people coming to the podcast, and I wanted to publicly thank those of you who made episode 22 featuring Alan Frischman our most downloaded episode to date. I am so glad that you have tuned in and I hope that you are tuning in for today's guest. It is with great pleasure that I introduce the second guest of season three into the heart of a healer. Rayo de Luz Samba Studio is led by founder and creative director, Leticia Imahana. Her Samba home is the proud recipient of the 2022 San Francisco Carnaval Spirit Award. As a certified health education specialist, Leticia brings a unique spin and passion to dance teaching by advocating for physical and mental well-being. She earned her Bachelor of Psychology with an emphasis in neuroscience and ethnic studies from the University of San Francisco and her master's thesis at Columbia University centered on community resilience. As a full-time equity officer, she evaluates diverse Bay Area programs and policies centered in health equity and social justice. She has also devoted 30 years of her life to multicultural dance, apprenticeship, and performance. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to have one of my mestras uh, with me on this episode of the Contemplative Corazon. Um, I know her as Leticia Imehana, and she is the artistic director of Rayo de Luz uh, Samba which I guess I've been dancing with for over a year now. And so uh, she works um, in the health field. And it, so it made sense to me that someone who devotes both her day job and her art um, to healing to come on to the show with me. So welcome, Leticia. Thank you, Julie, for having me. You've stuck by me through outdoor classes, Zoom classes, in person, and feel like you've been there for the community's growth. So. Thank you for inviting me. You are most welcome. So we're going to go ahead and get started with just the standard introduction. If you wouldn't mind sharing with my listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, um, you know, what it was that drew you to healing work and, you know, just tell us a little bit about your life's journey. Absolutely. I think my passion for dance as a contemplative practice definitely stems from my origin story. Uh, many people know I'm of Afro-Caribbean descent. I'm also Polynesian. So many of the cultures that I derive from, African, Taino, Spanish, uh, Hawaiian, have beautiful practices um, relative to dance. And many of which were outlawed, you know, through colonization. I look back at my ancestors' experiences and realize that dance was one of the ways that they stay connected to who they were. Um, it was one of the ways that they perpetuated their cultures 
And it was one of the ways that they fought through a lot of the pain and trauma um, to breed something in the present day um, that makes us so proud of who we are. So for me, I think it's a nod to where I come from and who I am to keep those practices alive. I also find that a lot of the women that enter my community are going through different periods of transition in their life, personally, professionally, um, and healing in their own rights. And I find that dance is the constant in a world that can be so unpredictable. Um, so for me, it made sense to bring what I loved, um, how I grew up into my art form. My mother and my grandmother were both dance teachers. So I didn't have much of a choice. I'm sure I was dancing from in the belly. Um, and it's all I've ever known, you know, really, was to be a part of that sort of community. Even growing up with my family, we attended Hibaro dances, sorry, Puerto Rican country style dances. Um, and I can just remember my first experiences of being on the dance floor. So I bring everything that I have, my world culture experience onto the dance floor. Um, and as you mentioned, my passion extends into my day job. I'm a senior health program planner. I'm also a racial equity officer for city and county of San Francisco. Um, so by day, I'm advocating for access to health and well-being resources for communities that are underserved. Um, it's important to me all the way around. And I feel like it's ability for people to reclaim what's already theirs, which is their happiness and their health and, and most off their peace. Thank you so much. You know, it's funny because I think this is the first time we've had, we've gone this deep into why dance is healing. I think that absolutely in dance class, we've touched on this topic. And I know, and you know, you know, just how important this discussion of indigeneity and the recovery from colonization, you know, has been in kind of just the conversations that I'm having um, and, and actually in some of the writing that I'm doing on my own. So how full circle it is to hear you say that, that in so many ways, you know, going back to your ancestry really ties into, into the work that you do as, as a dance instructor. And that's just, I'm like, wow, um, that's very moving. Thank you so much for sharing that with me right now. It can be so <laughs> hard and people are going through all kinds of transitions as, as they kind of navigate what's happening in the world. And, and so how do you keep yourself and your corazón, I, I talked about this in the trailer, how do you keep your corazón abierto um, given all of life's challenges? It's interesting because the meaning of my name is tied to my mission and who I am. Um, Leticia Imehana, Imehana means warmth from within. Warm-hearted is the meaning of the word. Um, and I really find that I put that, in, put that into my work. That energy is infectious, it's magnetic. When you just put out light and positivity um, and you want the best for people. And I find that the, the queens that I meet, my students, from the moment I meet them, I want nothing but the best for them. And it's very difficult to find a space like that where the intentionality is pure. I feel like that's lacking in the world just with how unpredictable day-to-day -day life can be and all the challenges that we're trying to circumvent to just make it to Samba Saturday. And I, I keep my heart open because you know, it gives me hope that there is something that is consistent in my life. And it's my community, it's my women, it's those that care about me. And no matter what is happening in the world and how crazy it feels, I know that that joy is guaranteed on Saturday, every Saturday, without a doubt. And that's such a strong feeling.
And I know my students feel that way too. And it helps them to keep their heart open, knowing they have something to look forward to. And I can't tell you how many times I've left class and cried, just feeling so happy and so proud because my students, they bless me with their light inadvertently. And I know as an educator, you know what I mean. When you see them grow, when you see a woman walk in, dance is a sign of body language. You can see the trauma in their eyes, in in the way that they walk, in the way that they move. You can see that. And when you see them cross the carnival finish line, and it's a different woman than the woman you met, it's your heart is bursting (laughs) with pride. It's hard to describe. Um, But my students pour into me as much as I pour into them, and it really feeds my soul. It's what keeps me going. That's so wonderful. And I'm I'm so grateful for the way that you co-construct that joy and that peace in the dance space. Um, and I think people have noticed because I know how humble you are, but I also think it's important that we we give you your flowers while you're with us. And um, you know, you were noticed, right? And so you received a special award for uh, San Francisco Carnaval in this last year. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, it was. Such a humbling experience. I, I grew up um, as a product of San Francisco teams, knowing that, you know, comparses are large, even in Brazil, sort of just how magnanimous they are. Um, and coming from a very intimate team, you know, in Hayward, um, I was very set on quality over quantity. I really wanted to connect with the women. I wanted it to be an intimate environment. Um, and to know that in the few minutes we have when we pass by the judges, you know, we're, we're but a glimmer in thousands of dancers that are doing this parade, hundreds of comparses, um, to know that they saw us, you know, as the Spirit Award winners, to know that that light was pouring out of each and every one of them. You know, I have a, a couple dozen ladies that dance with me. And to know that such a small team could create such a big impact. My understanding of the Spirit Award is that it's a team that most embodies the theme, you know, and at that year it was uh, Colores de Amor, you know, just this colorful, living, breathing embodiment of art and healing and culture, you know, mission, the Mission Cultural Center and all of the different groups that participate, they're all perpetuating these healing practices. The Carnival Administration has such an intent when they pick the themes and to know that we embodied that and embrace that light and that amongst all the people there, Um, The judges saw the girls shine. It's no surprise to me. I've known that they're wonderful. I see it every every week, week in and week out. But I was so very humbled. And as one of the smallest teams to ever receive any type of award from Carnival, I, I let the girls know too, you know, there will be rotational awards every year. And everybody should have that feeling. That feeling once in a lifetime when you win something. And the over outpour of love that we received from the other teams was also so incredibly uplifting. People that I embraced as my mentors um, were congratulating us. And for our girls, they just couldn't have been happier. But I, I think when we finished the parade, there wasn't an award ceremony for almost a month this year. And it wouldn't have mattered the girls were so excited the moment they crossed the finish line. It was like we had already won. So it really was a cherry on top and knowing that they made themselves so, so proud. Realize how peaceful and, you know, calming. And it sounds so like it's it's like a, it, it's a, it's ironic or it's, you know, one of those things that doesn't make sense, right? Like how can a parade full of thousands of people with all of this work that goes into it, it's so 
loud is probably not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like it's such a yes. big thing. And I think a lot of times people lose sight of the fact that as you shared, it's also a spiritual and a healing practice to take part in an event like that. Very much so. I, I also find that these women are reclaiming the right to do something for themselves. I feel like in this society, especially for women as nurturers, when we take time away from children, we take time away from our partners, it's seen as selfish. It's prescribed as a vanity, you know? And, and for me, it's my opportunity to let the girls know and to remind them you're worth it. You're worth it. You stop the world from spinning to take care of everyone else all the time, right? So Samba Saturday is your time. There's no need to feel guilty, right? Even when it comes to the way that my comparsa is constructed, as women versus familial style. I let them know this is the one day where you don't have to worry about anyone else but yourself. And it's okay for you to be the queen, to be the center of attention sometimes, for you to step into the limelight and for everyone else to pour into you the same energy and positivity and support that you pour into them. I've had women tell me, I feel more beautiful than I did on my wedding day. You know, and so that's such a powerful thing. And I, I really want to dispel that myth that self-care is selfish, especially for women, um, and that they can reclaim doing something for themselves and feeling really worthy of that. Thank you. So that leads me into my next question. Um, you've kind of started to share this a little bit, but what do you what do you do uh, for self-care? We know obviously dance is something that you help a lot of us do as our self-care, but what are some other things that you do for your self-care? I read a lot. I know you're a reader and a podcast listener and a writer. Um, and I found such inspiration, especially, you know, one of the positives of social media, you can find so much connectivity in a lot of the positive mentorship ideologies that are out there. Um, and one person I follow in particular is Alex L. And she is a best-selling author and restorative writer and teacher. Um, and she has her principles of truths that have rung so true to me, especially as of late. And she talks a lot about finding peace when you realize that not being for everyone is a blessing, right? I know that my light is love. I know that my light is a gift. And I know that there are people that will recognize and see that, not try to take advantage of it, but find it magnetic, want to be a part of it, want to grow their light. But I also realize that there are others that misunderstand it, uh, maybe are intimidated by it. Maybe it makes them stem back to their own insecurities about how they feel about themselves, and I've really been raised to never dim my light for anyone and to know that it's precious and to be very discerning about whom I give it to. Um, another way that I sort of protect my healing and spirit is not trying to change people, accepting people for who they are, what they are, where they are. And for me, that acceptance has meant loving from afar, cutting out anything and anyone that isn't conducive to love, light and, and loyalty having those boundaries, saying no to things that deplete my light, that deplete my energy and embracing everything that's conducive to my mental health, my spirituality, my healing. And when I started to understand that letting go was a gift and not a burden, I felt my heart and I felt my spirit healing and getting stronger. So that's, that's just a few of the things that I, few of the truths that protect my peace. I love that. I love your discussion of boundaries. I think you're probably my first guest to talk about that explicitly, because I think when we think healing or we think peace, we think, um, you know, solitude, we think silence, we think, 
you know, I'm going to go and sit in nature. And of course, absolutely. Those are incredible. You know, I've talked about all of those practices, but this idea that, you know, you're creating boundaries, whether it's around our own time that we give to ourselves, or like you said, you know, any kind of energy or relationship or situation that's not going to help us grow. I think that that's, that's also self-care. And I think we, we don't pay enough attention to, you know, that you can, that intention, intention is self-care, right? And being intentional about our relationships and, and how we spend our time and who we spend it with can also be a way that we work on our healing. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You talked earlier about dance being a, a contemplative practice. What are your preferred, you know, we know Samba is, is one of your passions, but what are, what are other of your preferred styles of dance and, and what do you think they bring to you? My first um, contemplative practice, my first form of dance was Hawaiian hula. I learned hula in, in the Hawaiian culture from the time a, a girl can walk. You know, you're educated in aspects of the spirituality, including chanting, you know, which is another practice of sort of connecting to the ancestry, learning the language. I also study Florico with Jaime Huertas. I have been blessed when I was on the East Coast for grad school to compete in 10 dance ballroom. I've had so many experiences, um, even at university with flamenco and ballet and West African and every dance. I, I, I would be lying if I said it wasn't dance. That was my favorite <laughs> contemplative <laughs> practice. I think it stems back to one of the first stories I ever heard about my grandmother growing up and my mother talking about how my grandmother used dance to heal her. She used to talk about how my grandmother grew up in a time when ADA rights didn't exist, right? My grandmother had polio. So she wasn't allowed to be in school. She wasn't allowed to swim in the community pool. At that time, it was considered a contagious disease, right? She was treated very poorly by her community. And she always used to tell me that when she was seven or eight years old, my great-grandmother took her to the doctor and the doctor said, she's not going to walk. You know, she'd be lucky if she lived, um, but she's certainly not going to walk. And my grandmother, who was you know, a young child at that time, looked him straight in the eye and said, watch me. <laughs> you know, And that was the bloodline that I came from. It, I knew that that was the way that she seized her health and her healing. She wasn't allowed in the pool and she would break all sort of rules to get in. She wasn't allowed to dance, wasn't allowed to educate herself and all of these things that she was so resilient against, right? She almost used it as a practice, right? As, as a resistance, right? To all of the things that she'd faced in her life. And she not only became a dancer, but she became a, became a sought after teacher in all of her years and lived very, very long. And I, I just think about that, you know, as a contemplative practice, you can heal yourself, not only mental health, but physically. You know, I, some of the best dancers I have ever known have overcome many physical ailments through the use of dance. Even some of the students that I have are studying the implica implications of dance in relation to chronic disease, right? Even when you look at shamanistic practices, when you would come and say, I'm ill, a shaman would ask you, when was the last time you danced? When was the, when was the last time you felt your feet on the ground? When was the last time you moved your body with the people that you love, right? So for me, it's so healing and restorative. I've seen that take shape in my family. I've heard that story a million times and it really imprinted on me 
that in all of these cultures and traditions around the world, all these contemplative practices, movement and dance and ritual meditation, so much of that stems back to our origin story and who we are and where we come from. Um, and there's nothing like it. Uh, aside from the people I love, there is nothing that makes me more happy than dance. I, I can be myself. And when I dance, it's like, I just feel light pouring out of every single inch of me. And to show you how deeply it stems, when my husband asked my father for my hand in marriage, he said, I have one condition. You must support her dance. Yes, she has. She has to dance. That is her healing. That is her space. That's her contemplation. That's where she's free. You know, and and I'll never forget that. That's wonderful. And I know that that was your gift to your husband at your wedding was a dance. It was, it was, I, I, we tried to draw in as much as we could, you know, that's how deep it stems that when you decide to enter into a union, you know, a dance is the way to honor your ancestors. It's the way to honor your family. It's the way to embrace your new family um, and to demonstrate a commitment and, and a sincere love. You know, you, you give all of yourself. And it was probably the best dance of my life. (laughs) Well, what I saw of it was absolutely stunning. You know, what what a true gift. And um, I know that 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 memory is, you know, for him and for you is going to be so precious, you know, for for the rest of your lives. Because, yeah, I, I agree that it was it was so many things. Right. It was love. It was healing. It was like you said, commitment. Just just absolutely stunning you know, you're a very busy person. You're a dance teacher. You're doing private dance lessons. You work in the health fields. Um, you're advocating for communities. How, how do you make that time to, I know that before we officially started recording, we talked a little bit about finding balance. And so how do you do that? You know, given, given how busy you are and all the things that you're doing, how do you make that time? I think it is one of the greatest challenges, I would say, you know, in in being a teacher, being a giver, being a nurturer, trying to make space and time for yourself. And I think, I think there's a rumor that I live at the dance studio. I think (laughs) ladies just think I'm dripping in glitter and feathers all week long, just waiting for the following Saturday. (laughs) Um, So I I do even set boundaries, even in letting my students know, you know, that I, I am employed full time and you know, as a racial equity officer, it is a demanding job, you know, just being that advocate and being that voice for communities that are underserved. And I find a lot of my passion carrying into my professional life. I make sure to set very firm boundaries, particularly at work. You know, I I am the type of person where I have a passion. I have my dance because I, I say it gives me what I call the fuzzies. I know that's what touches the deepest portion of my heart and my racial equity work and my advocacy in the city on behalf of communities of color is so passionate to me on my professional side. But I have to have that balance right between stepping away from work and also acknowledging with all of my coworkers, with my supervisor, that when I am off, I am off before eight o'clock and after five, you may not reach me Um, and I emphasize how important it is to me. And this is as someone for years who didn't have those boundaries and, and saw the way that it affected my mental health and my physical well-being. I let my coworkers know that I give 150% when I'm at the office and that I cannot compromise how much I give to the people that I love the most. 
when I'm outside of those walls and coming into those boundaries and know that it, it's taken me so long to have the confidence um, and the wherewithal to advocate for myself, to make space and time for what's most important to me. I think work-life balance is probably key for finding my time for contemplative practices. I also ask myself what I want to achieve. I think a lot of times when we wake up on Saturday mornings and we're tired, we tell ourselves, I just, and, and you wake up earlier than anyone for those boot camps, and I don't know how you do it. Right? We tell ourselves, ah, I'm just not sure. I'm so, so tired, right? Then you miss and you don't feel good. And then when you go and you come out on the other side, you're like, this is why I do it because I love it, right? I can feel it on the other end. So I ask myself in moments when I feel tired or depleted, I, I remind myself how healing the dancing really is. I remind myself all of the people that I care about, that I can touch and better with that light um, and how restorative it really is when we come together and that it is most worthy of my time. What has been the response of your, uh, prof you know, in your profession, like how did your coworkers and, and supervisors respond when you started to kind of draw these boundaries? I think, it, you know, probably over the past 10 years, it comes with the growth, you know, of the different work experiences you, you feel in certain positions where you're undervalued or unappreciated. And I have moved into an environment where I do feel appreciated. I do feel like a valuable contributor and I'm acknowledged for the time and energy I'm paid for the time and energy that I put in, right? Most importantly. And I feel like my workplace environment is more receptive. I've noticed that in previous workplace environments that I've departed from, rightfully so, it, it, it wasn't accepted. It was, it was almost seen as you're not a team player. You don't care enough. You're not as committed maybe as other members of the organization. Particularly, I find, you know, being at my age, when I was unmarried or I didn't have children, there was sort of a stigma. You know, you have all the time in the world to take care of. What else could you possibly have to do? So I have to really assert myself, you know, that I, I have a family that I'm taking care of. I have a business that I need to attend to. And I have found that now my coworkers are more receptive. I've also shared with them a little bit more about what I do. I think than I would have in past experiences as a racial equity officer. Now I really put myself out there. I share a lot of my experiences with culture. We have a lot of discussions about diversity and inclusion and belonging and accessibility. And so I'm constantly ringing that bell. And I think it helps people to understand that I'm a teacher and a mentor in my community and that that's what feeds my soul. And when they respect that, they're more receptive to it. But it took me opening up you know, probably being a little bit more personal at work than I would have normally. But when you're a racial equity officer, you're the head tribute in the Hunger Games. Oh. You, get, you get up and you say the things that people don't always want to hear. Right. And at this stage, I'm, I'm not going to remain silent. Not about the racial equity, not about my business, not about my passion, not about my boundaries. Um, and I expect people to be respectful of that. And I also have to remind them when they're not because you have to teach people how to treat you and it's never a one-time reminder. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep singing that song the same way I do about women knowing that they're worth it and just reinforcing that message. And I hope that it inspires other people, you know, in my workplace to feel like they can advocate for themselves too. It's much needed. I feel as women, um, and we, I've talked about this with some of my other guests, but as women, we absolutely 
I think we've been socialized to kind of just step in line. And I know with the way that a lot of companies, and you would think that in healing professions like health or education, there would be more receptiveness to that work-life balance. And it's, it's funny that you say that because I think it comes with experience. I know for me, it absolutely came um, as I got older. And of course, you know, once I had my family, it became essential to be really clear with folks like, yeah, when I'm on the clock, I'm here. But after that, yeah, I'm not going to be available to you. I'm not going to drop what I, my commitments to myself and to my family to do this thing that I could, you know, do when I get into the office. And I think that that's much needed. I think more more of us, in particular women, need to assert that, um, especially now. You know, I really thought after the pan, well, I don't, I don't want to say after the pandemic because, you know, it kind of is still around. But I know that kind of at the height of the pandemic, it really felt like, wow, maybe maybe things will change and people will be more open to, <laughs> you know, just healthier workplaces. And then we went right back to status quo and you're wondering why people are struggling with that. And it's because I think a, an entire globe realized maybe there's a different way to work. Maybe yeah. there is a, a more healthy way to, to make a living and, and that there has to be that balance. And it's, it's interesting that, you know, unfortunately there was this push to just go back to status quo. There was all this lip service about, well, we're going to change the way things are going to go. And then I feel like they kind of swung the, pe the pendulum right back and, and that desire to return to what was the pre-pandemic status quo. I think, I think part of the struggle that we're seeing is people are saying, well, I don't want to go back to what it was like before the pandemic. I like having that balance and, and having that time, even though we were forced, but having that time for yourself and for your family, I think was, was, I think I said that in season one, I think it was actually a gift. There was, there was somewhat of a gift there because it really forced us to, to be reflective about what, what we wanted our lives to look like. So I'm, I'm sure I'll come back to that theme um, again and again with some of the other guests, you know, I know that for you, you've come from a long line of healers and, you know, it's like you said, you kind of stepped into like, you're that strong bloodline of, of people who were going to just uphold their, their culture and their community and, and continue to kind of spread that love and that joy. Um, what would you say to someone who, who, who would like to kind of do similar work or, you know, pursue that commitment to healing community? I definitely think it starts with understanding more about who you are. Even with my role and how blessed I've been to be a Samba teacher, it really does stem back to my origins. You know, the Trinity of my bloodline with indigenous inhabitants of the Caribbean, African influence, Spanish influence. I see a lot of similarities in the Brazilian culture with their influence of African, Portuguese and indigenous cultures. We have connectivity, right? Beyond what we can see on the surface. And when you go back to who you are, right? And what fuels you, you find so many connections with other people and other communities that are trying to do the same thing. They're trying to restore what was lost, right? And you become a servant, you become a steward of that heritage, whether or not you are from that culture, you can actually play a role in perpetuating it, right? And helping it have its renaissance. 
right? To see better and brighter times in the present day. And it can bring us together in a way that we could never have understood. I, I would also advise that people embrace the unknown. I think when it comes to dance as a truly contemplative healing restorative process, it's gonna take time to master. And when people first encounter, especially dance, all they see is fear and intimidation of something new, right? It's almost like public speaking. And if you have a contemplative practice that you really are hesitant about, that you want to try, uh, my main advice would be pouring as much light and love and positivity into it as we do fear. We use our fear to manifest things that haven't even happened yet. We're afraid of things that we've never even tried. And I always encourage my dancers, even with an opportunity like Carnival, that may seem like a contemplative practice that is so far beyond my reach. I'm not a dancer. I'm not a performer. I'm not quite sure. I always tell them, we imagine that possibility with a lot of fear in our hearts. But what if we imagined it and it was everything we could have ever hoped for? What if it was better? What if you found your talent? What if you found your peace? What if you found your people, your community, right? What if it was everything you needed and more? And I would encourage people right? To consider their realities with the same amount of light more than we do our fears. Because if not, we'll never try any contemplative practices or anything new. We won't be able to experience that growth because the fear is so deep set, right? Use that light to make your realities a possibility. We have to imagine them right into existence and believe in them as much as we do our fears. Thank you. My goodness. That's wonderful advice. And I want to thank you publicly here for, for helping me reconnect with a lot of my light. We serendipitously, right? I don't even remember anymore how it was that I found you. And I said, oh, she's, she's outdoors in Hayward. Let me, let me go dance with her. And it, it's, it's been such a lovely journey. And, and I'm so very grateful. You truly are a light bringer. Thank you so much. You know, you've, you've really been a part of, of this growth. And so it made sense to me that I was going to uh, eventually invite you to be here with me on the Contemplative Corazon, which is was just really like this little, this little podcast that's truly from my heart, you know, the depths of my heart. And we're just doing all this hard work this season. And so thank you for, for being a guest with me this evening. Absolutely. And, and thank you for your commitment. Um, it's helping others to find peace. It's helped me to find peace, to reconnect with the spirit. And I know these are messages that we don't hear often enough in the day to day. And I'm also grateful to you. You've been a part of my journey for a very long time. I've been such a contributor and supporter, and I've brought so much light in the form of other sisters to our community. So thank you so much. I, I truly appreciate it. Gracias for listening to the Contemplative Corazón. Please share this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Find me on social media, on Instagram or Linktree at Mujer Evolving. Gracias por su apoyo. Thank you for the support.